educators know just how important it is to find the most effective way to impart knowledge. Brain-based learning is an advanced teaching method with the sole purpose of increasing the speed and efficiency of learning. During this podcast, we'll be taking a look at how to use the latest discoveries in today's classrooms. Welcome to episode 116 of the Teacher Rockstar podcast, a place where tips and strategies critical to the new teacher are discussed. We share the latest educational research and best practices so that the new teacher can be better equipped for a successful classroom experience. I'm your host, Steve Hiles, and today we will be talking about brain-based learning with our expert guest, Dr. Eric Jensen. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. Would you like to supercharge your classroom management skills? Well, if you're a first-year teacher or have less than five years of classroom experience, the Teacher Rockstar Academy course is for you. Gain the confidence, the skills you'll need to make all the difference in the world for our boys and girls. I'll be with you every step of the way. Become the best version of yourself. So invest in yourself today. Enroll now at tra.teacherclassroomresources.com. Before we dive into today's topic, I'd like to share a little bit about our guest, Dr. Jensen. Eric Jensen is a former teacher who grew up in San Diego, California. With a PhD in human development, he synthesizes brain research and develops practical applications for educators. He is listed among the top 30 educators in the world at globalgurus.org. Dr. Jensen is also a member of the invitation-only Society for Neuroscience, the largest of its kind in the world. Jensen's passion for the brain led to a personal quest to understand how and why many of us often struggle, both personally and professionally. Just as importantly, how can we grow and manage your own life better? While Jensen's 35-plus books show his curiosity about the brain, today we hope you're also curious about your own brain. His latest book is Brain-Based Learning, which is available on Amazon. Better self-knowledge that you back up with new habits can enhance your immune system, lower stress, and reduce likelihood of underlying illnesses you can get back the energy and joy you've been missing. Your students will grow more quickly and with confidence too. We are excited to welcome Dr. Eric Jensen. Welcome to the show, Eric. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Okay. So could you uh, tell our listeners about your journey into brain-based research? It happened a bit by accident, as many good things do. Um, (laughs) When I was 30 years old and had been teaching in the classroom for a while, I took a kind of a personal development workshop in San Diego, and it's really about becoming a better person in a lot of different ways. But the speaker kept referring to the brain this, the brain that, the brain that. And this whole time through is the first time ever I'd heard anybody start connecting brain stuff to real life. Mm -hmm. And when I asked for some books to read, they gave me some books to read. I just devoured those. And from then on, I was on a path, and that path led me to uh, writing my very first book, which was called The Learning Brain. Well, maybe my second book, The Learning Brain. It just got me completely pivoted in a brand new direction. And so that started decades ago, and I've been on that path ever since. And the biggest reason why is out of every different type of workshop and training I've ever done in my life, I get more people that tell me when they attended my workshop on the brain, it's been the most life-changing, the most classroom-changing, 
and the thing that's helped them become a better teacher more than anything else I did. And that keeps me remembering the power of this. I've never lost that psych, you know, that whole psyche mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. it and that energy. Well, that is just totally awesome. Um, let me ask you, uh, how does the brain, Eric, actually learn in the classroom? I think most teachers would be really, really surprised because most of their training is in only one of the eight ways that our brain actually learns. So uh -huh. one of the eight ways is through what we might call explicit or declarative learning, meaning the use of words or spoken or reading or seeing things in language. So that is a way that our body, our brain processes learning. But our brain also processes things like things episodically, meaning where we are when it happened. If I say, would you eat two days ago for dinner? You'd say, oh, let's see, where was I at home? Or did we go out? <laughs> like you have a an environmental cue for what happens, which means in the classroom, if you keep using the same spot for kids all the time, you throw all of those cues together and it's harder for them to remember what they did, where they were. But if you have them stand up, move to that side of the room, work with a partner, then 10 minutes later, you have them take a walk inside the classroom, sharing something that they learned with a partner. Now you start creating different environments. That's called episodic learning. In mm -hmm. other words, the where. Right. Another type of learning is procedural. You can learn with by doing it. You learn through gestures, through movement, through touch. All of those get embodied so that your body remembers how you did things, which is why I use gesturing in every single training I do, and I teach that. Another one is we learn non-consciously, where you aren't even paying attention. For example, you may develop or have an implicit bias about something, or non-conscious can be imitative learning. You imitate somebody else. Mm -hmm. So far, I've named explicit, episodic, procedural, and non-conscious. That's only half of all the ways that we learn in a classroom. And you can tell why many teachers struggles because they're sitting in front of this giant control panel that's got eight different ways that their students can learn. Mm -hmm. And the only one they know how to adapt, juggle, uh, move, jostle, change is the one on explicit or declarative, meaning word-based learning. That's right. the way it is for most teachers. And one reason that's th that they struggle is they miss out on all the other things that there are for ways to learn. I could go on and on, but you just get a sense that, wow, your brain is designed to learn a lot of different ways. That's totally amazing. And, you know, could you also share the connection uh, between the body and movement in well, itself? Well, many people treat them as if they're separate. Like they say, okay, we're going to take a brain break or we're going to take a, a, like, and they think a brain break is the same as a body break. Actually, your body and your brain work as a team nearly 100% of the time. I mean, uh -huh. you could say there's exceptions, but m almost 100% of the time they work together. So your brain's trying to get your body to get you through the day, every day. It does that by interacting with the environment. Mm -hmm. And so the connection is that your brain supplies the predictions based on memories and what you've done in the past and what you see, it provides the predictions of what's coming up next, and it alerts body areas to be ready for those predictions. So how, 
how does the connection between the body and the brain work in a classroom? Well, it's pretty simple when you think of it this way. Your brain is not a stimulus response. It's not driven that way. Your brain is a predictive processor. And that means it's driven by what to tell your body based on the perception of safety, risk, reward, or discomfort. So all day long, the kids in your classroom, their brain is processing what they believe will be coming up next, minute after minute after minute, second after second after second, and your brain does not quit processing the future. That's what it does. That's how it keeps you alive. Right. If you stop processing predictions, you will die, and you'll probably die today is the probably the best thing, most truest thing I could ever say. For example, when you're out in your car, your brain is making predictions of how all the other drivers in the road are probably going to behave. And if you see a driver that's driving erratically, your brain says, whoa, <laughs> drive around them really fast or slow down or get another lane or exit the, you know, the, the right. road. So you're predicting constantly your kids are doing that in the classroom. And if the kids come in your classroom and they sit there in a slumped posture with their arms folded, sorry, I got bad, bad news for you. Well, good news too. Bad news is they're predicting your class is going to suck. <laughs> and the good news is now you know that they aren't bad kids. They aren't unmotivated kids. That's just their brain doing its job. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So but, the, the connection between the brain and the body is the brain's always trying to make predictions to tell you what to do next. And your body's just going to respond. And right. if it thinks there's going to be some danger, your body gets tight and gets stressed. So there's the, the connection is just nonstop, endless every day in the classroom. And that's why when teachers say, well, you know, I need to do this with my kids. I need to do that with the kids. I just want you to be thoughtful about what are you doing? And what do you think is going to happen? Because I, I can tell you what is going to happen. Your kids are making predictions all day long. And teachers that make predictions to kids like, you know what? I see something special in you. I think you're going to go places in life. Stay locked in in my class because I know you got something special. And the kids are going, whoa, no one yeah. ever told me that. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Oh, and that's, so that's... now the kids start sitting up straight. So when, when class starts, they're like, okay, I'm going to be something special. In other words, if you have the authority to pull it off, kids believe in you. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that's so interesting. That, yeah. For the moment, it's just nonstop every day. Kids are predicting what's going to happen in the class. And if you don't set it up, if you don't frame it, if you don't alter it, if you don't influence their predictions, you will have a miserable day every day as a teacher. Hmm. Well, I tell you. Yeah, that is some amazing stuff there. Um, I tell you. Um, which leads me to, to ask you, you know, how then how does emotion fit into this brain-based learning thing? Well, your brain is, uh, in the area of emotions, I will say, because I always want to be fair to my listening audience, that there are two very strong viewpoints about emotions among neuroscientists. Mm -hmm. One of them, Dr. Paul Ekman, whose work I've studied for decades, he says that we have about seven or eight basic emotions. When I say basic, I mean Emotions such as fear, emotions such as joy, emotions such as uh, disgust. And Ekman's way of discovering that was that he took a camera crew around the world to different cultures everywhere, and he got permission within the cultures mm -hmm. 
to take pictures. And then he asked people in that culture, what does this expression mean to you? So he built up this a huge database. In fact, I actually went with my wife to one of those out of the way places that Dr. Ekman went to. It was in East Borneo and they literally, it's, I mean, it's in the middle of deep, deep jungles and there are literally signs up that said, beware, caution, the Marut tribes are known to be headhunters. Oh, like, my. stay away. <laughs> but I got a guide who was from that tribe to take me in and they walked me through where they lived, all those things. You know, they still use blow darts to hunt. Uh, and yeah, I got to try one out, but that was more comical <laughs> than anything. That's an intense skill. But setting that aside, Ekman collected from all over the world a profile of human emotions, and seven of them were found in every single society, every single culture he went to. Seven. And he wrote a very influential paper on it. A completely different and equally brilliant neuroscientist, Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett, mm -hmm. she writes that your emotions are evoked in the moment. In other words, it's not like you have stored emotional capacity like Ekman says you have seven hardwired emotions and all the rest are learned. They're learned like through things like imitation uh -huh. or they're learned through teaching. Like if you have a parent that screams a lot at you. Well, anger isn't a big thing that you're going to learn because you're hardwired to understand anger. But you might learn that the behavior of yelling at others might be something you'd either lock onto or avoid. But Dr. Uh, Lisa Barrett, what she says is she says that in the moment, your brain evokes a recipe for what you need for an emotion. Hmm. I've read her papers, and I'm sorry to say I still don't quite understand the neurobiology of the how, but she has a huge following and she has a very strong reputation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'll just say to people how emotion fits into it is either your hardwired emotions come out all the time in the classroom or they get spun out of your brain based on the situation. Here's why I think, and I've stayed with Ekman's camp. Uh -huh. So listen and lean in, listen carefully. In the classroom, I was told as a little kid all the time, knock it off, shut up, behave, do this, do don't. And most of the time, I had no idea what the teacher was talking about. Why? I had the hardwired emotions, mm -hmm. but my dad and mom divorced when I was two. And my mom was never a warm, fuzzy teaching emotions mom. I went through babysitters for four years. None of them taught me any of the other life skill emotions. I had an evil, abusive, alcoholic, wicked stepmother from age six to 16, and she never taught any skills. In other words, my social and emotional skills sucked. I mm -hmm. actually didn't know things like thank you or please, or I'm very sorry to hear that, or wow, I feel so grateful. I had none of those. All I had was the seven core things. So the teacher kept yelling at me because I wasn't using all of what she would call good manners. Uh -huh. And yeah. teachers do this all the time. They keep putting kids down, knocking them, knocking them down a notch and saying, quit misbehaving. And the kids look at her like F you <laughs> because they literally don't know what the teacher is talking about. Yeah, yeah. And it drives kids crazy. 
So if you fall into Ekman's camp, which I do, mm-hmm. what you have to say to yourselves is, if I'm not teaching kids how to behave, and if I'm not role modeling that, I have zero grounds on which to criticize my students' behavior. Okay, so in other words, so modeling is is crucial during this this thing here. Absolutely, yeah. it's yeah. absolutely because some kids at home, what they get modeled is what I got modeled. Mm-hmm. If you have a a single parent who's not real skillful at being a parent, you're going to show up at school and not have basic life skills that you need for school. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, that's interesting indeed for sure. Um, you know, this leads me to the next thing I want to kind of have you talk on is what are some strategies then in brain-based learning? Well, there's there's hundreds of them. I've written, I've written multiple books on it, but what I want to do is to mm-hmm. start with kind of the inside out, meaning, okay, so let's say yeah. that we have seven hardwired emotions, like sadness is one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so where are kids going to get all the rest of those emotions? So you just mentioned the power of role modeling, which would be a strategy to do this every single day. Another strategy is to slip in instruction on that, build that within your cognitive teaching, as in you have kids stand up, you have them move around, so you've already bumped up circulation, good for you. So your brain's got a little bit more blood flow. Some of that goes to the brain. Good for you for doing that. You might have them look for a partner. They might find a partner. So once they do that, introduce themselves. So now maybe a little bit of serotonin. Good for you. You're already altering. Ba-da-dum, ba-da-dum. Strategy, strategy, strategy. Then you might ask the kid. You might Each one might ask each other. So how are you doing today? And the kids have all these options for what they could say. Mm-hmm. If I'm a teacher, I'm going to give them a menu to read from up front. Why? Choice is good. I let them choose which one of these resonates, which one of these works for you. And I'll have kids say things like, I feel extraordinary today, or I'm having my best day ever, or not so good. Can we talk at another time? (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like all of these ways that kids could respond before they do a cognitive activity, like summarize what they just read, things like that. You build in emotional skills. But if you said to your kids, all right, kids, we're going to do something different. Today, I'm going to teach you emotional skills that you can use when you talk with other kids. You know what they'll do? Their brain's a predictive processor. Their shoulders will slump and they'll say, this is stupid. I don't want to do it. Yeah. So you can start noticing there's a difference between doing things not only at the right moment, but not doing them at all is bad too. So notice what we did. We set up an activity by first, I'm the teacher, so if kids are seated, I want their brain to go to a predictive mode of something might be good. I might say, oh, I just thought of something. This will be good. Everyone up, quick. Notice what I did. Their brain says, what's going on? What are we going to do? What's next? (laughs) Yeah. And before they get a chance to even invent something in their brain. I'll say, right when the music starts, take five giant steps in any direction. When you get there, raise your hand. Ready, go. Ba-da-dum, ba-da-dum, and my music's on, and they're already walking. Why? I don't want them to start thinking about what's going to come up and make predictions. That's why I ask them to count. Also, counting is a left hemisphere skill. 
-hmm. So the emotions are processed in both hemispheres, but a little bit more in the right hemisphere. Right hemisphere looks for things that are off. So notice what I'm doing is I'm keeping their brain busy while they walk. Because I don't want them to start making predictions about this is going to be stupid. Yeah. So in other words, when you start breaking down what I do in a training, everything is based on what I know about the brain. And every time something doesn't go right in a classroom of mine, or it doesn't go right um, for me doing a training, it's basically because I just mucked up. I screwed up. Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest things about brain-based learning is you start learning, OMG, I have way more influence over how my students behave in my class than I ever thought. Because when Eric did this, that led to that, which led to that, which led to that. And that's why those kids got a lot out of the assignment they read. But wait, there's more. I may have them say, oh, right before you have a seat, one quick thing, this will be fun. Now take seven giant steps in a different direction and find yourself a brand new partner. When you found one, pop your hand up just like that. As soon as they get to the new person, I'll just say, now up on the screen are three questions about we just read. So you may use any of those three questions or you can ask a question of your own. Now I have them quiz each other. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do not just sharing, but error correction. And then right before they head back to their seat, another social emotional skill. I'll say, hey, before you head back to your seat, if you enjoyed working with your partner, pop your hand up and say, you're good. Like turn to your partner and, you know, I have them give them an affirmation. Mm -hmm. And And then I'll say, now head back to your seat and... Ba-da-dum, ba-da-dum, I'll usually put on a celebration song or whatever. So this little experience that took five to seven minutes was uh-huh. totally choreographed. Totally. Like, I leave nothing to scratch. And by the way, I do this with adults, too. If I have 100 people in a training of mine, mm-hmm. I know all the things that can go wrong. Why? I've screwed up so much, I already know what could go wrong. <laughs> So I know how to prevent that. And I know what their brain's doing and why why things won't work. And I just do intervention, 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 just like that. Brain-based strategies are ones that say, what do I know about the brain? How do I slot in the what during the where with a why? Like it's just ba-da-dum, ba-da-dum, ba-da-dum. Is it easy to do? Well, actually, a lot of teachers do it by accident. Mm-hmm. You know, like just doing some of the things they've been asked to do, they work. You know, some of those things actually follow some good rules. So if you wanted to know, like, you know, when I said to you, there's eight different ways your brain learns, those are eight pathways. Uh You know, explicit words, language, reading something, episodic by being in different location, procedural by using your hands and your body, non-conscious by imitation, or learning, which is, or implicit biases or generalizations about things, all those we do non-consciously, but there's other pathways. But if you ask me for the general flow of what is the process for learning, the process, I would say you're always starting with the climate. You're always starting with the environment because your brain's highly sensitive to emotional cues. Mm -hmm. So example, if kids walk into my classroom, 
is it the same old doorway they see in every other classroom? I, I taught secondary. So if it's the same old doorway they see in every other classroom they go to. You already missed before you even kids even walk into the class. You already missed out on an opportunity to create something that would lead them to have high expectations about how much amazingness they'll be in your class. Next thing, when they walk in, what do they step on? First thing, I would have them step on a mat that I made, a rug that I made, a floor device, a board that I painted on it. Uh -huh. Amazing kids learn here, like things like that. So every time they walk in, they get an affirmation, even if their head's down, or right. I'll say, want to be amazing today? Look up. <laughs> you know? yeah. And yeah. not only that, there's going to be music on. Teachers who put really hard problems on the board for kids when uh -huh. they walk in class, they have no idea, no idea about kids' lives away from home, away from school. Yeah. For yeah. many kids, when they get home, you know what their job is? Babysitting for a younger brother. You know what their job might be? Doing chores around the house. You know what their job is? Homework. Yeah. Like for many kids, it's just one problem after another, after another, after another. So as soon as they walk in your class, the first thing they get is a home is a problem to solve. Really? That's yeah. the best you can do. <laughs> how about an inspiring quote for the day? Yes. And how about at the end of class, you don't have the quote up and you ask a student, if you remember the quote for the day, pop your hand up, please. And you might see two or three hands and I'll say, up, what do you got, Eric? And you call on that kid. And if they can say that pretty close to word for word, not exactly, but pretty close to that, I'll say beautiful. When class is over, come up and, uh, and, you, and grab a Hershey's chocolate. Uh -huh. well, and the message goes around really fast to kids about paying attention to absolutely the day. Now, <laughs> the beautiful thing about this, if you might say, Eric, I'll go broke with that. And I'm saying, no, 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 you don't understand the brain. You see, if you reward the brain several times initially, mm -hmm. and it could be, doesn't have to be a food reward. It could be everybody in the class turned to that person who remembered it and say, you're amazing. <laughs> it, like the reward doesn't matter. But once it's in play, once you're starting to get the results you want, your brain remembers the habit of remembering it. Okay. So they read it. And then they did a little internal process to remember it, but you don't need to reward it forever. Why? Intermittent rewards actually work and occasional rewards actually work as well or better than rewards every time because rewards every time become less valuable. Right, right. Well, Eric, if I may, if I could piggyback off of what you just said here, then how often during an instructional day should they get up out of their seats or music should be playing? And I think that would be of, of, of great interest. You know, I mean, is it is, is it's almost like the teacher needs to be, you know, on show, especially elementary teacher where you got these kids the whole day. Uh, yeah. You know, could you kind of speak to that uh, there? Yes, like, I like, think. One of the things that made my teaching more awesome, and by the way, I did start off being awkward as a teacher and uh -huh. like lots of other teachers had all these new things to learn, but I was blessed. I had one of the best mentors. I was teaching catch-up skills for kids in high school and the catch-up skills were reading, study skills, you know, memory tools, yeah. note-taking, all that. So my job was to help high school kids get caught up who were basically just sucking at school. Mm -hmm. So I would try anything with them. But my mentor was just off the charts. He was probably one of the best reading teachers 
in the state. And so the beauty when you have a mentor is you learn to start looking for not just the nuances, but big picture, how does he pull this off? So you asked the question about, you know, about what exactly, you know, should a teacher set up? And I say, start creating really small packets for teaching of a procedure that you can repeat again and again and again without having to think about it. I call these classroom rituals. Okay. Rituals in the sense of kids always knew how my class would start. My first four minutes of class was the same every single time. The only thing I might switch is the, the content of it, but the vehicles were the same for it every time. The vehicles meaning the doorway, the music, it's on every single time. And the kids can vote on the music. But there is a vehicle so that every class was started up with the same things that I needed in it every time. So when I do a training for 100 people, mm -hmm. I already know the drill. I already know what to do, even though I don't even it's, it's not in my notes. I don't use notes in my training because I already know what to do because I've created packets. So if I'm a teacher, what would I do? I would use music for that packet. So okay. then you're going to have times where kids get up, move, interact with others. That's a music time. So if you're asking them to get up and move, you're going to have a playlist of songs that are really good for getting up and moving. Okay. So on my playlist for things like that, I've got songs like... You know, I'd like to move it, move it. I'd like to move it, move it. But there's a zillions of other songs, too, that are great for moving. Then there's things for heading back to your seats, like celebration songs, like this is going to be the best day of my life. Or it could be songs like, uh, you know, I I got you. I mean, I just yeah. the playlist just go on and on and on. And, you know, the, the take home from this when it comes to uh, this is that my classroom was filled with micro pockets of things that I'd already learned how to do. So when I opened up my class, here was one of my favorite ones. Open up my class, and I use this song a lot. I've kind of switched over some of the songs, but when I wanted to open my class, I'd say, very first thing, the clock, bingo, it's on time. I raise, I raise up my own hand. I look at everybody with a big smile and I say, if you made it on time to class today, raise your hand and say, I'm an on-time person. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, why? I want them to have the identity that I'm an on-time person. Notice right. I went after, who am I? I'm an on-time person. I could say, raise your hand and say, oh yeah. Now that's not bad, but you see identity in our brain drives behaviors more than even acknowledgements. By the way, acknowledgements are worth a lot and they're good. So the song that I would then pop on would be a song like, Are You Ready? by Soka Boys, or Be Ready for a Miracle, or it could be Be the Miracle, or uh -huh. it could be On Top of the World, Imagine Dragons. So Get Ready, Rare Earth. There's all these songs that I would do right at the start just to get people up and going. They're going to be up and out of their seats for my get started routine every single day. By the oh. way, I have a closing routine. 
So okay. the routine is what starts making your teaching easier. You create right. micro blocks of things that can be replicable again and again and again and again. Kids know the drill. As soon as this music starts, they know. It could be you're putting away things. It's your transition music. It's your, when there's a fire drill, it's like everything you have a packet for. Pretty soon, my teaching, even the packets for skill building, like that might be an 18 minute packet. I had opening music, closing music. During the skill building, I might have a micro packet for something, but mostly I knew the drills for building skills. Mm -hmm. So micro packets filled up a portion of my teaching day. Why? It offloaded things, so I don't need to think about them. And second, I could put my planning time into the new content for that day. Oh, that that's that's something. Well, let me ask you now, when the children first or came into your room, did you have music playing at that point, like maybe something soft or something or, or Absolutely. you know? Absolutely. So oh, okay. I let kids vote on things like that. Oh, okay. And, All right. And so I had, I would run it by, I'd go home and listen to the song. And if I thought it was a good song, we'd play it. If there are weird lyrics or something, I didn't. Mm -hmm. But Kids could vote on things like that. If I didn't get votes that week for it, because I had a suggestion box for music, if I didn't get any, I just play my own stuff. Some kids say, can you play that again? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, so when kids come into my class, always music. When they leave, always music. And when they arrive, mm -hmm. I'm going to have a routine that I already got memorized, and I don't mess with it. it I right. stop the regular teaching at about five minutes before closing time. At my secondary level, exactly five minutes. I knew the closing routine that we'd go through. Mm -hmm. And then like, you don't even need to wonder what to do. You just plug in the content and they do that closing routine and they're done and they're off. Yeah, so you, That makes your job easier because each of your packets are what we'd call brain based. Like you've thought them through, you used repetition, repetition, repetition until you were automatically good. Like that's insane. Yeah. Other yeah. teachers would see your class and say, wow, you did everything so well in it. And I'd say, well, actually I do about five or seven things really well. <laughs> yeah. You know? Right. But I could just plug in different things. It's mm -hmm. like, if you're really, really, really good at playing baseball, you know, there's only so many types of pitches. And yeah, you look yeah. to figure out what to do when that pitch is thrown. Are you going to be perfect every time? Nope. But you're going to be way better than someone that never makes it to the big leagues. That's right. That's right. Well, uh, that, that is fantastic. Um, well, so wait, I want to, I want to jump in real yeah, quick. Sure, with one sure. other thing, And that is, does brain-based lesson planning follow a template? Yeah. I would yeah. Say your template is that you have a series, uh, a sequence of pockets for things. So just don't orient you about learning. I said there's easily eight different ways to learn. I don't want people to get bogged down in, in knowing every one of those because for the moment, it's not appropriate. What mm -hmm. is appropriate is every learning experience starts with context, environment, doesn't it? Yes, it in does. In other words, if the kids feel safe to take risk, they'll do that. If they predict it's going to be fun, they'll do it. If they perceive a reward, they'll do it. So all of those conditions have to be met in the environment before you ask kids to do something. Because if you ask them to do that and none of those are met, here's what they do. They just sit there slumped in their chair and teachers goes, well, what's wrong with you? You guys don't seem motivated today. Well, actually, that day their teacher sucked. Don't take it personal. Mm -hmm. Teacher just didn't know. 
that their brain is running through this really quick and it's like instantaneous sequence. So it's got to be safe. It's got to be low risk. It's got to be, be have a be predictive reward. Now, the next thing is, do the student have capacity to do what you want them to do? So for some, you need to do a little bit of background learning, like retrieve things from the past or for them to be able to pause, share with three or four others. What do we remember about this topic before you can go forward? So notice environment matters, student agency matters, their belief systems matter. If they think I can't do this, then you have to be working on that from day one, as in create different mantras. Like sometimes when I say, now this is going to be a little bit tough today. And I'd see kids shoulders slump back a little bit. And I go, mm -hmm. oh shoot, I shouldn't have said that. And I said, I got a quick way for you to learn something faster. Here's what it takes. Repeat after me. Harder makes you smarter. Kids go harder, makes you smarter. And they're kind of like wrinkling their brow. Like, what is that? <laughs> so yeah. I used a whole lot of slogans until pretty soon when it was time for us to do something that was harder. I'd say, turn to your neighbor and say, harder makes you harder and give them a high five. So pretty soon it just became blended as part of the process. So we started with environment. Then we went to agency of the student. Do they have the background or do they have mindsets that are negative? Like you've got to work on the agency of that person. Absolutely. So, you know, then you're going to work on what's what's the big why, the buy-in. What's the you know what's gonna what are they going to get out of doing this? Like if I said, how many of you would be psyched up if I could show you how to cut your homework time, you know, by yeah. half? I'll show you a way to do that. So if you're ready for that, taking a slow deep breath through your nose, hold it, hold it, hold it, and let it out. Ah, uh, notice I just embedded a brain-based technique, which is calming using the parasympathetic nervous system. So then when it's time to take on the task, I'm going to let them work at it either by themselves or with a partner for, let's say that's a content-based task. Take it in, take it in, take it in. And after about six to 12 minutes at the elementary level and maybe 10 to 15 minutes at the secondary level, it's time to pause. Pause to process, time for asking questions, generating questions, time to quiz each other, time to double check our work. And in other words, no new content. And once they've got their content chunk in their brain clarified, then their brain needs a break. Mm -hmm. When I say brain break, that does not mean give them different stuff to do. Teachers don't understand. Brain breaks mean cut it out. Stop it. Mm -hmm. Quit making your brain do work. Here's why. Because your brain now is trying to decide, should I save all this new learning or not? Because you don't remember everything that happens in your life. So why should it just save what you just did? If you screw this up, you got to reteach. And if you got to reteach, it costs you time. And it keeps costing you time. You get more stress. Your kids fall further behind. How's that working out for you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> so the brain breaks is several minutes where kids can stroll around the classroom, hands to yourself. They can look up at things up on the wall. They can read affirmations. They can sit in their chair slumped over. If they do that, they just breathe slowly. If they want, they can just watch something that's calming like an aquarium. Mm -hmm. So the idea is just to shut it down five minutes. 
Anyone walking by your class would go, oh, that's the worst class I've seen all day. Look at those kids. <laughs> yeah. They're a bunch of slugs. Unfortunately, the person that said that actually doesn't have any clue about how the brain works. Right, right. I took a walk one day with Dr. Terry Sanowski. He works at the Salk Institute of Biological Studies in La Jolla, California. One of the most renowned neuroscientists in the world. Took a walk with him one day. I used to take teacher groups out to Salk Institute so they could visit that. And I did this actually to 40 different places around the country. I'd take teachers out to labs of neuroscientists so we could talk to the scientists to figure out how does our brain work? And Dr. Dr. Sanowski said to me, he said, you know, I, I just, I said, he said, I love this profession. I love that you brought teachers to me. And I say, I said to him, listen, if you had a class to teach and he interrupted me, he said, Eric, I do have a class. I teach undergraduates all the time. I mean, he said, Wow. Like top of the food chain PhD, but mm -hmm. he teaches undergraduates. And I said, well, how would you teach it to maximize brain work? And he said, well, I'd give them something to read before the lecture to prepare them. I'd give a short lecture. I'd let them discuss the lecture. Then I'd tell them to go take a walk for about 10 or 15 minutes. Wow. Like this is a yeah. guy that knows the brain as well as anybody in the world. Mm -hmm. I've read a couple of his books listen to him talk this guy knows his stuff but notice the take a walk part mm -hmm. so teachers who keep go 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 with content all day because they're behind no actually that's part of the reason you're behind wow that that is very interesting there absolutely um eric let me ask you what's the biggest takeaway that you want new teachers to know when implementing uh these brain-based uh, learning strategies in their classroom Wow, it's a, that's kind of a uh, big, tough one for me. Probably uh, to remember that you have the power, you have the capacity, and you have the responsibility mm -hmm. to influence the student's brain all day, every day. And don't go AWOL on them. Don't give up on them. You've got that, the power to influence it. Mm -hmm. So when I tell you, that, hey, I was voted one of the top 30 educators in the world on globalgurus.org. It's not because I've been terrible at my job. It's because I've learned how to influence my students. I've learned how to influence teachers. So never, never, ever point fingers at kids and say there's something wrong with them. There's something wrong with their parents. Just please, please own it ownership this is your ship you're you're in class it's your train it's your bus you're the driver own it own what happens in kids responses if they have a great day smile pat yourself on the back when they don't have a great day take notes afterwards write them down one of the best trainers teachers i've ever met in my life when he was 20 years old he had a notebook he carried everywhere he went and he would write down what happened that day that worked and that didn't work. Mm -hmm. By the way, he's a household name now. So many people know him. I'm not going to share his name, but I want you to know that's how he got good is he owned the results that he got. So the best takeaway is when it comes to influencing the brain, you are the king. You're the queen. You're the one that's got the drivers. You got the steering wheel. You got the gas pedal. You got the brakes. You've got all, you've got the AC, the heater, you've got everything. 
That's what you should own. And I do that when I walk into a course. I, I've walked into rooms where I have 2,000 people in the audience. And you know what I say to myself before I walk on stage? What I say, Eric, you got this. They have no idea who they're up against today. Wow. That's that's, that's really something. Yeah, that's that's fantastic, uh, Eric. Where can folks go to connect with you? I mean, you have a website. I know you you obviously published a, a multitude of books and stuff, and and uh, but how how can they get you know in touch? Or you got a website or? Yeah, a couple of real quick ways. So if you can go grab a pen or something to write with, or maybe you've been doing that. If you've been listening in the car uh, and they want to go back over this. So, Steve, will there be will this be posted? Uh, yes, sir. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So um, all over we'll social sure. media. Yeah. And he'll he'll let you know about that. So listen, uh, first place to go would be to my latest book on the brain is called Brain Based Learning. I authored it with Liesl McConchie, who is brilliant. So both of us did that together. So you can buy that on Amazon. If you want to check out stuff, you can go to my website, JensenLearning.com and sign up for my monthly newsletter. That's a freebie. You'd like that. You can also go to my other website and brainbaselearning.net and you can get tons of free stuff about things you can do in your classroom. Just it's chock-a-block with information and it's all free. So there's lots of options for you. Get the book, get my newsletter, go to my websites and you'll be up to speed. So any of those, I appreciate you going. I started my path in this literally decades ago, and I'm still on the path. That's how good it is, because the whole field keeps growing and growing. And if I'm not growing, then I'm dying. So I'm going to keep growing, and I hope you do too. Well, I certainly I certainly understand that. A student of learning constantly. Well, I'll tell you, Eric, I want to thank you uh, for sharing your expertise with us today. It has been fantastic, chock full of valuable information. And I know my audience is going to love it. Um, and I'll tell you, I, I look forward to having you back again on the show. Um, Till then, uh, I want you to have a great day and we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Best to everybody and keep and take good care of your own brain and those you work with. Bye-bye. Well, this brings us to the end of this episode. Hope you found a golden nugget or two from the information presented that you can implement into your classroom tomorrow. Feel free to reach out should you have any questions or comments about the episode. Also, if there is a topic that you would like me to talk about or address on a show, please shoot me an email. I want to thank you for listening to the Teacher Rockstar podcast. I'm your host, Steve Hiles. When you get a moment, visit my blog and subscribe to my newsletter for the latest educational research, best practices, and unadvertised free bonuses. Simply go to blog.teacherclassroomresources.com. And don't forget to subscribe to us at the Teacher Rockstar Podcast. And if you'd like to support us, please feel free to share our podcast with others. Post about it on social media. And if you feel comfortable, leave a rating and review. That's always greatly appreciated. Thanks again. We'll see you same time, same place next week. And remember, my friend, you got this.